0: Life if you give your heart and believe what he's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're true. You'll be set for life. Well, my voice isn't very good today. You should have heard me a couple days ago. You know, Optimus Prime. I sounded like him. I could say Autobots transform and roll out and everybody would look. So anyway, I just don't have the voice for it tonight. I was digging around and I found a uh, a prayer of repentance from one of the Psalms of David. So I think I think it's good to realize that you remember when Nathan you remember when Nathan went to go tell David, you're the guy that's messing everything up. Remember that there was somebody that was messing stuff up and David was doing all this craziness. He got lost in sin and Nathan, the prophet, had to come tell him that that person is you. First, David was th- was thinking, oh, who is this guy? I'll have him killed and I'm going to pronounce all this judgment against him and all this stuff. And Nathan says, I'm talking about you. <laughs> so um, and what's interesting about that story, if I remember right. The judgments that David pronounced on whoever this guy is, whoever this bad guy is, the judgments that David pronounced were according to the law. He shall lose fourfold of this and whatever of that. Those are the judgments that actually ended up happening to David. You remember David lost some of his children. There was a number of children that he lost. That was according to the law that David pronounced on whoever this bad guy was. And so he was subjected to that very judgment that he pronounced out of his own mouth. Interesting when you read that. If you read that story of Nathan telling him, you're the guy sinning. and Before David understood it was him, he pronounced judgments from the law. And all those judgments, if you look at those judgments, those paralleled what happened to David after that in his life. (laughs) So very interesting. So now David had a prayer of repentance, though. After Nathan, the prophet went to him. So when David had gone in with Bathsheba and committed that sin with her. So now David realized it was me. He realized I'm under that judgment, but yet he was still repentant of it. And that's what Psalm 51 is based on. That's pretty good for having just dug it up out of the book. Just pop, there it is. (laughs) That's pretty nice. So we're just going to read through. Okay, follow me. Psalm 51 and one, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What's interesting is that as bad as he did, he could still ask to blot out the transgressions. He still, and as I just said, he had to face the judgment for what he did. But we can say, Lord, blot out our transgressions, but that does not spare you from the judgment. That doesn't spare you from the consequences of what you've done. There's a lot of people, they think they can sin all they want to, and if they'll just ask God for forgiveness, then God goes, okay, I have to forgive you. Then they're clear, no, you're not, because your sins still produce consequence. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Keep part in there as he acknowledged his transgressions. We have to learn how to acknowledge what we've done wrong rather than hide it or be too proud to admit it. David is saying, Okay, Nathan told me what I did and I acknowledge it. I, I fully bring it forth. A lot of people, you bring them to acknowledge. They'll say, yeah, but, you know, she started it, or he did it, or he did this kind of thing. What was Bathsheba doing taking a bath on a rooftop anyway for everybody to see her? You know, (laughs) David looked at her. Now, yeah, there is that that aspect. What was she doing? But David did mess up. But at least he's still acknowledging what he did wrong. Verse 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Okay, this, I remember this verse right here in Bible College, specifically, the argument about when we are considered guilty. You know, after we commit a sin, are we, commi- are we considered guilty? You're considered guilty of sin before you do anything. You're born guilty because he says it right here I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. So from the time of conception you're guilty before you did anything. See you're not you sins are a result of following the sin nature. You get the sin nature upon conception. Then when you can do things, you commit acts of sins because of the sin nature. There is a sin nature, and then there are actions. And a lot of people think you're only guilty because of the actions of sins. You're guilty because of the nature that you carry. And it says right here, before, before you've done anything in conception, you were born in sin. Uh, think of it this way. Do you have to teach children how to lie? Where did they learn that? Is that they're, they're lying almost before they can even talk. How did they know this? Because they were born with it in, because of verse 5. Brought forth in iniquity, conceived in sin. Okay? That's just, just an interesting little passage for you to jot down to help you understand just how much you're saved from. Now, Jesus died for to forgive our sins, but he rose again to deliver us from the nature. Of sin. Paul said, who will deliver me from this? Who will save me from this body of death? Jesus did that. So if you ever want to talk a little more about that, there's a sin nature that you have no matter what. Even after you get saved, you still have a sin nature. And then there are actions of sins. We had that from the get-go, from from conception. Verse 7. <clears throat> Purge me with hyssop, and I should. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean; wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have given that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. So he's asking for restoration. We never should we should never forget. We serve a God of restoration. That is the best thing about the Lord, it's because if he would not if he was not in the restoration business, he would have said, you sinned, you just stay down like you are. But thankfully, he fixes everything that we broke. He restores us back, and we don't deserve it. And uh, he blots out our iniquities. You know, when you stand before the Lord with Jesus, with the blood of Jesus on you, you don't really have to worry about all the bad things you've done because your iniquities are blotted out. They're gone. They, they have no way to count against you whatsoever. We can actually ask the Lord for this to blot our transgressions, oh yeah, I remember what, what I did in the past, and it was terrible, we can ask the Lord, would you blot that out, and He'll do it. That's what's amazing about the Lord God. So verse 10, this sounds like a lyric, I'm sure I've sung it before, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You know, some people read verses like this, and they think that means that God takes the Holy Spirit away. Like if you get saved, you can suddenly become unsaved because David said, oh, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Well, this verse talking about this, it doesn't mean that God sometimes does. This is not a definitive statement saying that God sometimes takes his Holy Spirit away from people after they've gotten it. But another thing we need to realize, too, is that back then, nobody had the indwelling Holy Spirit at that time. Nobody was indwelled with the Holy Spirit until after Jesus Christ rose again. What would happen? If you notice in the Old Testament chapters, it says the Holy Spirit came upon came upon David and gave him power. The Holy Spirit, came upon Moses. The Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of God, came upon Samuel or whoever. But it never says he indwelled. Never says that, because the indwelling never happened until after Jesus' death. So the Holy Spirit would come and go upon people. He would come upon somebody like Goliath. He came upon David and David was able to kill him. Okay. There were some passages somewhere that said of a certain individual, the Holy Spirit came upon him and stayed with him and never left him again. Okay. Some people confuse this into thinking indwelling can be lost. That's not talking about the indwelling. Everybody, Old Testament before Jesus Christ's death, that was a, it was a coming up upon which he would sometimes come upon, and then he would leave. He would enable you to do an extra special task of some sort that required extra strength or some kind of extra ability. He would come upon you, give you that ability to do that job at the time, and then he would leave, not that he forsook you or you lost salvation, but you don't need that empowerment anymore. You got the job done. So he was saying, Do not take your Holy Spirit from me because that happened at the time. David said, I need you, Holy Spirit of God, upon me right now to get through this time. I messed up. I got a lot of enemies. Please don't leave me alone in this to do this myself. Okay. I just wanted to clarify that this is not a passage about losing the indwelling Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our salvation. It's a very different thing. Okay. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. (laughs) David is not just repenting of what he did wrong. He's saying, it's time for me to start doing what you wanted me to do, which includes telling them about righteousness and getting people that are lost to start following you. He was out committing adultery. He had committed murder to have uh, Bathsheba's husband removed and a bunch of crazy stuff. And now he's like, man, I messed up so bad. I need to start doing what you want me to do. So, guys, I will teach transgressors your ways. You know, we're all transgressors and we need to teach people how to live the way God wants us to. And the first thing they'll do is say, yeah, but you're a sinner, too. I say, well, yeah, but I learned Because I'm a sinner. I'll tell you what, uh, I was at a church in the past that was a mess. It's an absolute mess. And so we were kind of glad to get out of there. But we realized the purpose, the good part of being in that messed up church taught us what not to do. (laughs) Okay. So now we're here doing this church. We know a lot of things not to do. So if you're sitting in front of somebody, you know, you're telling them the gospel, and they're like, well, you're a sinner. And you're like, right, I learned what not to do. Please hear me. <laughs> it's, it's actually wisdom from experience. And we need to teach them the Lord's ways so that the sinners will be converted. God is, a, He's our God of restoration. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I love that. I've seen a lot of people, I have been one at times, where they're just not happy. They're just not happy anymore. They're worried. They're just dragging around. And Oh, gosh, woe is me. And sometimes they'll come and ask for me for help. And I'm very, I try to stay very compassionate with them. But I will ask them, when did you lose the joy of your salvation? What At what point did you lose that? And then they're forced to have to thinking about, yeah, when did I lose that? Because I used to be happy. Well, what happened when you lost it? And that forces them to think they need to get it back. It's not so much about fixing the problem that they come in concerned about or about, you know, whatever the issues are they're contending with. The main thing is they lost the joy of their salvation. It's like, hey, I could lose all my money. I could lose all my health. I could lose everything and I can still be happy as heaven that I'm going to be saved. So if you lost your joy, why'd you lose it? He's saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Even David lost it. He's probably depressed. He's upset. He's hurt. I don't feel good. Lord, I I know that the way I'm feeling is wrong. How bad I'm feeling, it ain't right. And I don't even know what to do about it. So Lord, restore it to me. You know, you can't just look at somebody and say, well, be happy then. (laughs) That doesn't work. But you can go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not happy these days. And I don't know why. Lord, would you restore my joy back? I think that's a prayer the Lord likes to hear. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Okay, David had committed murder. He ordered Uriah to be killed. That was Bathsheba's husband. David decided, I want Bathsheba, so put him on the front line, set him up in a trap, make it look like he just got killed in battle. Everybody go, oh, he just died in battle, and that's the way it is, and we'll honor him and everything, but meanwhile, he's out of my hair, so that he went through with that. Uriah got killed, and David now realized, I'm a murderer for setting that up. And friends, you know, here's something, I've shared the gospel with people before, and I said, you know, once you're saved, God seals you. And they say, well, what if I go off and kill somebody after that? I said, well, number one, why are you going to kill anybody? <laughs> and that's a problem in itself. But I want you to look at David. He's a righteous guy, and he committed murder. So here's a guy that actually did it. And what is he saying? Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, oh God. And I, I think this is something we all need to remember. Um, talking to people who have been guilty of abortion, and they it just... It just tears them up that they've done the sin. You can ask the same, the same uh, request: deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. You know, we prayed to the, we prayed, and then we g- gave praise to the Lord. We sang aloud of His righteousness. He, the Lord loves that, and repentance before praise is is the way it works. Lord, for, You know, oftentimes when we praise in here, I'm like, oh Lord God. I can think of at least ten things I did this week I shouldn't have done. I'm sorry for that. And then, then, the song catches me, and then I'm praising the Lord for it, thankful that He actually lets those things go. He releases them and forgives me of them. Verse 15: oh Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall f- and my mouth shall show forth Your praise. For You do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. You know, being broken in spirit, that is somebody, uh, that's not depression. That is somebody that's no longer proud. That's somebody that's no longer, look at me and how great I am. That is somebody that gets down on their knees and says, I have sinned so bad And they're grieved over their sin. If you don't grieve for the sin you've committed, that's a problem that you may not be saved like you think you are. Maybe you're not happy these days. I get it. David said, restore to me my joy. But if you're not grieving, you've got trouble. But if you can get to that point, Father, forgive me. I've sinned. I'm so rotten, the things I've done. The Lord God loves that, a broken and a contrite heart. David is really pouring it out once he realized the damage he did, what he had done wrong. Verse 18, do good in your pleasure. To Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of your righteousness with burnt offering and a whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. David is concerned about... Jerusalem where he was ruling he was concerned about the people about their sins he knew that as their leader whatever he did made them do it so as king he committed a bad, bad atrocities against the lord now the people were going to do it and he's like no lord build Jerusalem please don't strike it down go ahead and build it but let's put on the sacrifices so that we can be covered so that our sins can be covered from your sight He's acknowledging I messed up and it causes other people to mess up too because of me. So Lord, would you wipe mine clean? And Lord, can we get after purifying and covering for the sins that I caused everybody else to do? And I think that's very important. David recognized not only what he did wrong when he sinned, but also the effect it was going to have on other people. You know, when you commit a sin and you say, well, it's just my life, I can do what you want to, any sin you commit affects other people in some kind of way. Even the righteousness acts that you commit, that affects them in a good way too. So it's good to remember in our repentance that when we mess up and do something wrong, how many people that know me did that affect? And not just praying repentance for yourself and covering for yourself, but also for them. Because what we do affects everyone. You walk around in a big bubble and it's called a sphere of influence. And wherever you go, there are people that pass through that bubble as they see you, they see you in the grocery store or whatever, or you know, people you bump into at church, how you conduct yourself and the things you're doing in your life, whether they know about it or not, when you put them in that sphere of influence, it affects them one way or another. And it's going to come out in your attitude to how you react to people. Like if you're having a really terrible week and somebody somewhere says, Hey, how you doing? Well, fine. Let me alone. You know, I mean, you just affected them <laughs> in a negative way. Well, hi, how are you doing? Well, you know, things aren't very good, but you know what? I'm going to trust in the Lord no matter what. And I'm going to just leave it to him. Well, now you just affected them in a good way, even though you've been having a bad week. So you affect people, whether you, whether you want to or not, <laughs> you affect other people. And David is praying for Jerusalem, Lord, Let's build this place. Let's build the walls. And Lord God, let's put on the sacrifices and let's start getting a repentance heart to everybody I affected. I think this is great. I think it's wonderful that David was doing this. He wasn't, It wasn't just about him. Your repentance is not just about you, as well as your salvation ain't just about you. When we get saved, we're supposed to tell it to other people. Like he said, I'm going to help the unbeliever, the transgressor, to learn your ways. At the same time, our repentance is also works like that as well. When we commit a sin, it convinces other people to sin. When we proclaim the gospel, it convinces other people to obey the gospel. Either way, we affect other people. We need to pray for people to receive the Lord. We also need to pray for repentance that other people repent for watching us mess up. Okay? We need to be careful how we work our influence, right? So that's Psalm 51, the prayer of repentance. Father, forgive us for our sins. Lord God, forgive us the things we've done wrong. Lord, may we consider the people we have affected in the things that we have done wrong. Lord, may we consider better changes that we need to make. And Lord, I don't pray just only for my forgiveness and my restoration and my repentance, but for those that I affected, that I pushed them the wrong way. May they come to repent too. Maybe Lord, they can see me being repentant. They'll want to do it too. And then, Lord, also restore to me the joy of my salvation so I can get out there and proclaim your righteousness and your salvation and so that transgressors will want to do things your way. Thank you, Lord God, for giving us this opportunity to serve you in this way, that even though we mess up as bad as David messed up, we see how David messed up terribly. It's still not too late for us to call repentance down and restoration down. But Lord, our our prayer of repentance has to be backed up by a willingness to do what you want us to do. I can't just say, uh, forgive me, and then go about my merry way and do the same things I did. It needs to be like David did here. David says, I acknowledge I did wrong. I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to do your way. I'm actually thinking about more than just myself. I'm thinking about other people, too. Lord, may we remember this passage of Scripture and keep our repentance in line with this in the Bible here that when we mess up, it's not just we that got affected. We need to remember others that we have affected as well. And Lord, if we got to go to some people and say, forgive me for the things I did against you, then I guess we need to do that as well. Forgive us, Lord God. May the people we hurt forgive us as well. And we thank you for this example in Psalm 51 from David. In Jesus' name, amen. And I completed just enough time to make one podcast out of that for radio time. I don't know if I'm going to sound good in it, but it's, uh, it's there. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe Set for life You'll be on your way Any day you decide to start